0: Hey, welcome everybody, Rob Kosberg here Excited to bring you another episode of the Published Pro Profit Podcast Got a great guest, very prolific author and content creator Barry Moltz has uh, written six best-selling books His most recent, Small Business Hacks, 100 Shortcuts to Your Success uh, Which was a... Uh, hot new release Number one release on Amazon uh, Barry's a national speaker On small business given hundreds of presentations To audiences as small as 20 And as large as 20,000 20,000 sounds like a lot of fun Also a little nerve wracking Uh, Membership of the Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame. Congratulations on that. Uh, Adjunct professor at Illinois Institute of Technology. Many TV shows, radio programs, uh, uh, Donnie Deutsch's Big Idea, MSNBC Business, uh, NPR, Travis Smiley. You have your own radio show. And now, after all of this, finally, the Publish Promote Podcast. So... <laughs> great to have Finally, you on, Barry. I've been waiting for this opportunity. <laughs> I know. I know. We finally got you on. So great to meet yeah. you, my friend. Excited to chat with you today.
1: <laughs> now, the 20,000 was not as exciting as you think. I was speaking at the arena in Atlanta. I was opening for Mark Cuban, and I had to interview him on stage. They gave me 15 minutes to warm up with the crowd. Everyone gets quiet. They introduce me. Barry's going to speak, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as I start speaking, everybody starts talking. No one's listening to me of 20,000 people because they weren't there to see me. They were there to see Mark Cuban, kind of like the warm-up act. So I would say that it was exciting and easily the most humbling experience I've ever had in my life.
0: <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that. You know, that's uh, uh, both interesting and, you know, it does give an opportunity too. Like, uh, you know, you could be Motley Crue uh, opening up for AC/DC and blowing ACDC off the stage. So you never know, right? <laughs> you just never know. It didn't quite work out that way for me, but it was great. Great to meet Mark Cuban. That's very cool. Thanks for sharing that. So, do you do a lot of speaking still? You, you do a lot of trials? Um, I did before. I did the, before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, the key to my happy marriage is being gone
1: two or three nights a week. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Was a, a challenge during the pandemic, and so I've started to speak now uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, and it's picking up. But it's you know it's confusing. The rules are different at all sorts of conferences. People don't pay attention to the rules, so it's still pretty unsettling.
0: Right. I completely understand that. I want to talk about your books and your expertise. Since we're, talking I got a new one coming out in January. Oh,
1: what's that? It's called Change Masters, How to Make the Changes You Know Need to Make. Ooh. So that's coming out in January. We can talk about that.
0: So that's not a small business focus. That's more
1: self-improvement, it, it, would you say? Or? No, it's, it's about small business. I mean, the way this book really got started was that uh, people would hire me, consult their company, how they can change it. we figure out what was wrong. we put together an entire plan about how to make the changes step by step. I would leave and nothing would happen. <laughs> and so I got interested in why do people pay a lot of money yeah. and then never change? What holds them back? And how can I help them with that change? That's the focus of it for business and for self-improvement.
0: Oh, I'm very excited. Okay, so so I want to talk about that. But I want to ask you this question about uh, sure. about speaking and what you're seeing. You know, it seems like if you're gone two or three nights a week, it sounds like you're like, again, pre-pandemic, but things will get back to normal eventually and are beginning to get back to normal now, you know. Prayerfully. You know, as far as like speaking and how it like uh, creates more business or is a part of your business, can you explain that a little bit? Is it about attracting consulting clients? Is it about selling book? What is your model and plan around speaking in general since you do so much of it?
1: Well, my model really is to get paid well to speak. Anything else that comes from it is a bonus. Remember, since I'm being paid well to speak, I'm not there to get consulting gigs. I'm not there to sell books. I'm there to give a good, and I'll call it educational performance to people that are assembled. Anything that comes from that is a bonus. Now, things always do come from it, yeah. but it's not my primary focus. I'm not the kind of speaker where I go out and I speak for free, hoping that I'll sell books and hope I get consulting gigs. In fact, I never sell books at the back of the room. I never really like to sell books at the conference because that's not the focus. I'm not trying to get someone to hand over 20 bucks. I want them to learn one or two things that they can implement in their business and hopefully
0: change the direction. Love it. Love it. Good. What a great model. How long have you been doing that? And I imagine you've seen your fees go up with all of your books and your content that you've created as well
1: i've been doing it for about 20 years yeah and i tell you being off the road for a year and a half it was really hard and the first time i get back on stage after a year and a half it sure felt good but i sure was rusty
0: yeah yeah.
1: So it takes time to get back into form.
0: Interesting. Awesome. And what do you got set for next year? How many engagements already? And what's that look um,
1: like? I've already got several dozen set for next year, wow. but quite honestly, I'm really evaluating each and every single one of them because I'm not quite comfortable up on, being up on stage, having an autoimmune disease, speaking in front of a group of unmasked people.
0: Right. Uh, so we'll
1: see how things, uh, see, see how things develop.
0: Completely understand. And obviously, you reach a, a large audience with the content you're creating, with your radio show and all of that as well.
1: But I did find a really good wraparound face shield that looks like an astronaut's helmet. <laughs> uh, so when I get up on stage, you know, no one's wearing masks. And so the first thing I say is, you know, I've an autoimmune disease. I'm wearing a, uh, a shield to protect myself as much as I can. But if it fogs up, it means I'm not getting enough oxygen. If someone could then rush on stage, rip it off my face, but don't give me mouth mouth resuscitation for obvious reasons. So it <laughs> hold your breath as you rip it off. <laughs> exactly. So it kind of gets a laugh and puts kind of people at ease in this crazy, strange situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you uh, you obviously have a great sense of humor and you have a great stage presence. So I'm, I'm sure you make a lot of you have a lot of fun with it along the way. <laughs>
1: Listen, if you have fun, the audience is going to have fun. Right, right. Uh, I really believe in edutainment. Yeah. Unless you're someone who's really famous yeah. or has a really great TV pedigree, you better be entertaining as, be- uh, as well as interesting, yeah. or you're just not going to keep people there.
0: The greatest sin, right? Being boring.
1: Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I bore myself sometimes, so I have to keep <laughs> changing it up, and I've yeah. got to you know, make up new stuff, so it keeps me interested and engaged.
0: Well said. Well said. I love it. Let's go to the change book because that sounded very interesting. Tell me the title again. You said it's coming out in January. So that's yes, coming out January.
1: Yeah, it's called Change Masters: How to Make the Changes You Know You Need to Make. And the purpose of the book isn't to convince you that you need to make changes in your life and your business, is to help you make changes that you know you need to make. Right. So the book goes back and, and we did a lot of research on why is change hard for people, and mostly because. Your brain is a pattern-making machine right. and especially as you get older, you don't want to change. You go to work the same way every day, yeah. you even know how you got there when you drove there. Your brain likes to go on autopilot and when you have to make a change, it's hard and it's scary. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would rather the devil they know rather than the devil they, they don't know mm-hmm. and people only change, I believe, if they're an incredible amount of pain and actually have no choice. I mean, look at small businesses during the pandemic. Most of them did not want to get online. They didn't want to put technology in. They were kicking and screaming. But when they had no choice, they actually did. it. Right. And so the change was forced upon them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I saw that in my own business. I had been looking to go to a more virtual company for a long time. We had a big office in Pasadena, California and um had a plan, long-term plan to go virtual because we did have employees all over and we have a good-sized team. I never pulled the trigger on it. I was afraid when we were forced to pull the trigger on it because we were a non-essential business in California, it was honestly one of the best things that could have happened that came from a terrible situation. So I wish I would have pulled the trigger earlier, but again, like, you know, I guess to your point, it was being forced to pull that trigger that actually made everything better for us. Right, exactly. Talk to me about the specifics then. So you saw this happening in businesses that were paying you for consulting. You gave them the solutions. You showed them the changes. They didn't want to make those changes. So what are the steps then that you kind of lay out? What's the magic of Change Masters? Maybe walk me through that.
1: Sure, and let me give you another example. I mean, I sell a lot of online courses and one of the things I was really surprised is that 90% of the people that buy this online course, where they pay anywhere between 99 and $297 for, yeah. 90% of those people never open up the first module wow. and, and never ask for their money back. Yeah. And that blew my mind. And what I realized was that people think they're changing. They have the intent to change, but by buying the course. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they go through it or not, but they think they're changing. True. So that's another thing that just totally shocked me. People buy stuff, And just never use it. So, where this book really starts, where this 20 steps really start is that, first of all, you have to understand why you're making the change. What's the problem? What's the pain behind it? What are you doing now? What's going to happen if you don't make that change? Because you almost have to have the fear of not making the change and then you need to start with a very, very small step That you can achieve. People try to solve problems with really giant leaps. And in fact, when people retell the story, they talk about how they took this giant leap over to the other side and they were successful. But really, it starts with interrupts and then you celebrate when you're able to achieve that step and also have a mentor or some kind of support person to help you along the way. Yeah. So it takes you through roughly 20 different steps, but that's the crux of it. It was funny when I was testing out this worksheet, 20 steps to change, I gave it out to a bunch of my clients, people on my, my uh, list. And so I gave it to my wife and I said, honey, Would you fill this out? And the first thing it says, what thing do you want to change? She looks at this, she goes, I don't need to change anything. I don't have to fill this out. (laughs) So there you go. I don't think I'm gonna get a reader for my book from her. Although she's never read any of my books. She says, Barry, I live with you. I don't need to read your books. I hear it all, all the time.
0: Well, my wife hadn't read mine either. So look, we're on the same boat there. <laughs> that's great. I don't need to change here. I'm a little surprised. Maybe she didn't fill out two or three things for you though.
1: <laughs> no, you, I didn't tell that part of the story. The
0: <laughs> that's great. So you mentioned this kind of in passing, do you have a good bit of kind of neuroscience around this idea and, and how the brain works? Uh, is that something that you go into a little bit with yeah. the book?
1: Your brain wants to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Cause it figures if you survive up to this point, whatever you're doing is good because all the brain wants to do is survive. So it's hard to create those new pathways. In fact, your brain really fights against it. It wants to survive. So it wants to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And as I said, it gets harder when you get older because your brain gets lazy. Mm. It's harder to form those new pathways in your brain. So it's not just your fault. It's basically your brain's fault, (laughs) right? And It's hard. I mean, it's a real thing.
0: Give me an exercise or two that somebody could maybe go through. You mentioned about really looking at like the thing you should be afraid, which is not changing. Is there any kind of exercise that you put together to stimulate that kind of thought?
1: Well, first, as I said, I want people to go through what's the problem, why do they have to make the change, what are they going to do, what's going to happen if they don't make the change, and then what's the first step you need to do in order to make that change. So, for example, I find that a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs can't read their financial statements. As I travel around the country. About 50% of people can understand a profit and loss statement. 25% can understand a balance sheet. 5% can read a cash flow statement. So let's say you want to start understanding your profit and loss statement. What's the first step you should do, right? Well, I always say the first step you should do is let's take a look at sales. Let's not take a look at sales and cost of goods sold and overhead expenses and net profit and depreciation or whatever it is. Let's just look at one small part of that. And do that first and get something out of it and then go on to the next one. Good. I think that we really have to break these things down to very, very small chunks. I remember when I was learning to meditate, I would go to my Zen master and I would say, Listen, you taught me to meditate for two minutes. I've been doing this for a couple of years. I really want to take it to the next level. What should I do? And he said to me, Well, next year try two minutes and five seconds, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I think that's you know, in American business, we want to take these giant leaps, right. but progress is made by slow and steady. I mean, one of the reasons why most people join health clubs January 1st and quit health clubs January 30th is the first week they go five times to health right. club. Then the next week right. they go four yeah. times, then three times. Just try something small and see if you can sustain it and then yeah. go on to the next one.
0: Yeah. Love that. Love that, Barry. That that kind of brings up my next point and, and, and maybe... In general of your your small business knowledge so what do you see you mentioned about you know reading your financials balance sheets etc what do you see are some of the biggest problems that that small business owners need to address they're not addressing or that are urgent and they are beginning to to address what what in general do you see
1: yeah, besides cash flow, because all businesses go out of business for one reason, that's cash. People understand cash flow. Yeah. They think sales is money. I would say it breaks down to four other areas. One is sales and marketing. People don't do marketing on a consistent basis. Yeah. So they don't keep their pipeline full. They only do marketing when they have no business. And as soon as they get business as a result of that marketing, they stop doing the marketing. Right. So it's a stop and start. Also, they don't really know how to create other leaders in their organization. When they start, their organization chart is basically hub and spoke. They're in the middle and everybody works for them and every major decision goes to them. And that's a problem mm. because if your business is only about you, then you have a job, not really a business. Right. The third thing really is about the customer experience. People really need to understand that whatever you're selling a product or service, people can get it anywhere. What they can't get anywhere is the experience they have with your company because now people want to form some kind of personal connection. They want to get invested in doing business with you, and that's what you got to focus in on and the fourth thing really is productivity. People keep complaining there's not enough time. We're involved in this whole busy cult, but it's not about time. It's about you don't focus your attention on doing the critical things that day and you let all these interruptions get in the way. In fact, if there're no interruptions, we actually go looking for interruptions right. so enough to do what we want to do. So, those are the four areas or the five areas including cash flow that really small business owners really have a difficulty with.
0: You know, the productivity thing seems to, you know, be a red flag these days with employees now mainly working from home. I don't know that working from home means that people are generally less productive. I imagine that there are studies on that. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, like what do you see now in the last year and a half that this has been, you know, a pattern? And how can you help people to be productive in that home environment?
1: I think that we have to get past the industrial mindset of that people have to have their butt in the seat for a certain period of time. And I think we should focus on value. I think some employees are incredibly productive at home and some employees aren't productive at home because they get distracted. Yeah. I believe that you have to figure out with the person that's working with you what has to get accomplished in a certain period of time and do they get it accomplished regardless of how much time it really takes. We should be tied to value and contribution, not time. That's an industrial mindset. That's an old mindset. Yeah. Figure out what kind of results this person should achieve and really focus on that and then audit that. That's the important part. If you ask for something, I mean, you know, it's kind of like when my kid was little, I'd say, hey, go clean up your room. Well, if I never looked to see if the room was clean, he would never do it. So as I say, people respect whatever you inspect, set up the goals and then review it with them.
0: That's good. That's uh, that's a gem right there. are there like certain ways to think about KPIs and and setting up goals when it comes to employees working from home? You know, it, like in the past, they were in the office doing their thing. And you just expect it and and things kind of progressed along. But, you know, I'm even thinking of my own business. I can see certain times where we were really lazy about KPIs because we always saw that people were in there and working on their thing. And sometimes their thing just took a little bit longer, whatever that was.
1: Well, I, I think that it's good that we're shifting over to KPIs because, again, just because someone is sitting at their desk right. doesn't mean they're working or working effectively. But it's comforting for the business owner as they walk through the office, they see people there. At least they feel like they're getting something for their right. money. Right. Now, they can't see the person, right. so it's really hard. But that's why I say at the beginning of the week, the beginning of the day, whatever fits the task that person is doing figure out what's got to be accomplished, then review with them sometime later. As you said, focus on the KPI, not the butts in seats. But I know that a lot of people still have a hard time with that. And I do believe that we lose something by people not being in office because there's a certain amount of culture and a communication that really happens if people are all in one place. I still believe that we work probably best when we're physically together. So I'm really hoping, I mean, I think that, being in the office, unless you're a retail store or a manufacturer, being in the office five days a week is probably a thing of the past, yeah. but I'm still hoping that most people can do it two or three days a week and really focus on those meetings where they need to be together.
0: You know, I, I was a little surprised, to be honest, the number of, of our team that really missed the office environment. That surprised me. I thought that they would be so happy and thrilled to be able to work from home and, and all of that. We have a very conscientious group, which, which is encouraging. But have you noticed that as well? Is there a sense in other businesses that people are missing that camaraderie and, and exposure to one another?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think that people do want to be in the office at least two or three days a week because they want that camaraderie. They also want that separation that comes between business and personal life. It was all meshed up together. And if we weren't good at focusing our attention before, it was really hard during the pandemic because we had families to deal with, we had health threats to deal with. So I think people are looking for the relief when they can separate things out. And what studies show is that people were actually working longer hours, most people. Now, there were those people like with my, with one of my clients, they found out that one of their accounting assistants actually was holding two full-time jobs working remotely, right? And so, she <laughs> had to feel you know, so, I mean, they eventually <laughs> let her go, but yeah. I mean, you can never do that if you're working in the office, right?
0: That's an ambitious person right there. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, it's not that they did two great jobs. They actually did both jobs really mediocre.
0: Right, of course. (laughs) I get it. Talk to me about like the other parts of your business. Um, You know, you're a speaker and you speak for, you know, high fee. You you, uh, make a difference, but you do get other opportunities. I imagine you do consulting, things like that. So what do you do for small business and what does that all look like, your magic?
1: Yeah, my two other areas, well, I get small business owners unstuck, and mostly these days I've been focusing on family businesses because they've got real issues. I mean, I don't know if you've watched the TV show Succession about the family business now. Most people I consult for aren't that rich and they're not that dysfunctional, Uh, but – People are trying to figure out how do they transition from the relationships and roles they had as a family to being operating effectively as a family business. I mean, for me, I work with my wife for a day. She wouldn't do what I told her to do, so we stopped working together. So we figured it out really quickly. But a lot of families are on first, second, third generation, and it's hard because 50% each generation it goes through, 50% aren't successful in passing it on. Right. So that's one area of focus. The other area of focus is I do a lot of selling small businesses because now's the time, especially if you have any kind of uh, cloud-based business, things are really hot and you get a lot of money for your business. So I have a lot of folks exiting right now, You know, taking their marbles and going home or on to the next adventure.
0: Very cool. Uh, define uh, small business in that regard like what's your definition of that
1: well i mean usually i'm working with businesses that are at least three million to 50 million in size okay i don't usually work with startups because if i'm going to get people unstuck people that are smaller or just starting out they don't know what they don't know right so i like them to be in business three or five years before they realize that. Right. So it's usually got to be a business that's doing at least $3 million in sales.
0: Good, 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 good. And I have heard the same thing. I mean, there's a lot of money sloshing around in the system right now. And so valuations, I guess, are, are really high for it's that reason.
1: Some crazy stuff, just especially in the educational technology area. Yeah, We're seeing valuations of uh, anywhere between seven and 15 times annual recurring revenue. So it's just nuts so. Well, we got a lot of people walking away at 50, 100, 150 million dollars. so wow. it's a good chunk of change.:
0: Well, wow. that's fantastic for those people. Congratulations. I want to talk about your book in just a moment, but talk me through how you take somebody that has, say, tech business or, or small business of three to five million dollars and you help to position them for that sale, because most are not prepared or ready for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So the first thing I ask them is What are you going to do The day after you sell your business Okay. Because if you're not ready For the day after You're not going to sell your business And I usually get some kind of success fee And so I want to make sure If we come up with a deal It's going to go through Right. Many years ago I had a situation Where I was selling uh, someone's business A week before it was going to close The youngest and favorite daughter Of the owner said Mom, I don't want you to sell this business And that one fell apart Wow. So I really want to know What they're doing gonna do the day after. The second thing is numbers are power. I really want to understand how solid their financial statements really are. And are there any you know skeletons in the closet? I asked that question to one business owner and she says, Well, let me show you my closet. So she went to a closet in her office and she opens up and there's all this money and she goes, Well, this is the three million dollars I skimmed off of the business over the last 20 years. <laughs> oh my my- God. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I don't think I can take this thing on here. This is not going to work here. Oh so Numbers are power. And if your numbers are solid, you'll have an opportunity to uh, really retain the price you decide on. Because remember, when someone goes out and due diligence, it's basically you know a
0: colonoscopy, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're going to go in there. They're going to reach in. They're going to find whatever they can. They're going to call your baby ugly. Yeah. So you got to be ready for it.
0: Yeah, that's good That's good I love it, Barry Uh, Wow, what a story Let's switch gears And uh, let's talk about your books You've written six books You're a prolific content creator Not just with books You have your seventh book Coming out here in January You continue to write books Because they're doing something for you Your speaking career Your business, etc We know that the hope Is that they'll make a difference In business owners' lives How have your books Made a difference to your business?
1: (laughs) Well, I think first of all, you write books because you think you have something to say. You think you have something to really contribute on a certain topic, but it also is a big fat business card. But even today, when you write a book, people think you are an expert in this area. And that's why I think as much as people like to read eBooks, it's still important to have a physical book that actually goes out there so people can actually hold it, touch it, feel it whatever it is. Yeah. So I think it's a big marketing tool to show that you're an expert. For me, the reason I keep coming out with different books is for people to invite me back to their conferences because I have something new to say. Mm. And that usually works out really well. So it it gets you repeat customers uh, in a time where maybe someone invites you once to their conference, they never invites you back.
0: Very smart. That's a great strategy. You know, I've never heard anybody say that. Uh, Directly I've, I've always thought it Indirectly but that's a that's a great Strategy so so following up With that does that mean that every year Or so you're trying to write something new
1: um, I would say every two to three years, Yeah, you know, it's hard. Yeah, it <laughs> it's is. hard. Because it is. There's only so many things to write about and yeah. you want to come up with something that inspires you uh, that you can write 30 or 60,000 words about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I started I, I, I've started books and never completed them because I couldn't flesh it out or I just lost interest in it.
0: Right. right. Uh, so
1: uh, you know, it, it takes uh, a lot of time. Now, fortunately, during COVID, we had a lot of time. Right. So I think are going to see a lot of books coming out because people are doing a lot of writing.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well said. Love your stuff. Love what you do. Uh, Thank you. Obviously, it really is uh, making a difference in the industry. Where can we direct people to for someone that maybe is interested in your in your books or interested maybe in working with you?
1: Yeah, so you go to my website, which is www.berrymolts.com which is B-A-R-R-Y-M-O-L-T-Z.com. You can go to Amazon, and you can buy any of my books. If you uh, like my books, I'd appreciate it if you leave a very favorable review. Yep. If you read the book and don't like it, just keep it to yourself.
0: <laughs> I say the same thing. <laughs> That's great. Barry, great to have you on. Really, thanks. It was a fun interview and and super informative.
1: Thanks for having me.